So it's really nice to be meeting here with you today. My pleasure. Um, so I remember when I was doing research about you, I saw that you were a professor at the Texas Southern University. And no, I was just wondering. The, oh, you sorry. got the wrong person. That's not me. What? No. Which Henderson it did said, you look up? I said I looked up Howard Henderson. It's, it's a lot of great Howard Hendersons out there. I'm the J. Howard Henderson. So, oh, you that's don't even have my... That's what came up when I looked it up. You don't have my bio. So good. I will tell you all the great things about me. So don't worry. Okay. Just, throw, just throw your questions out and I, and I can <laughs> follow up. All right. Um. Well, first of all, we'll tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I've had, I've had a pretty rich life in terms of working in the area of human and civil rights. For the last 45 years, I've worked with, uh, started my career off early on with OICs of America. Nobody knows what that is. That's Opportunities Industrial Relations Centers. And that was working with uh, Dr. Leon Sullivan out of Philadelphia. He was the guy who was responsible. He was a minister, a West Virginian like me. And he was, and he was the person who was responsible for the Sullivan principles, which, broke, which helped break down apartheid in South Africa. As a member of the board of, of General Motors, he was uh, very instrumental in making sure that American companies that were doing business in South Africa had to hire black South Africans into their corporate structure. So that was my first venture out into the civil rights world. And then I became president of the a local NAACP back in Huntington, West Virginia, probably when I was about 23, maybe 24. And I spent many years doing that. And then I left them and went to work for Governor Rockefeller in West Virginia, where I headed up the employment and training division for the state of West Virginia. That was John D. Rockefeller IV. Left John D. Rockefeller IV and went to work with Dr. Benjamin Lawson Hooks, who was the CEO and president of the NAACP. Went to work with him in New York. Spent about 15 years working with him. Moved to national headquarters for the NAACP. That's the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, for those folks who may not know. And uh, moved their headquarters to Baltimore. And that's how I wound up in Baltimore back in 1985. We moved our whole operations to Baltimore. And we were located up on Mount Hope Drive in Baltimore. And I left when Dr. Hooks, he retired in 19, whatever it was. See, when you get old, you kind of lose sight of the years. <laughs> I think it was about 1982. And uh, so I retired. I was his chief of staff. And uh, and so then I went to work for a little small school, not Texas school, but a little small school in Jacksonville, Florida, Edward Waters College, which was a division of the, what church was that? It'll come to me. So you get over, you forget. But Edward Waters College in Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, headed up their uh, development office for about a year and a half. Then I came back to Baltimore, which was always home. I never left home. I, I just commuted back and forth. And then I went to work for the Urban League and retired from, from the Urban 20. What year was that, Bria? Was it 20? 18. And so I've been in retirement now for a while. I was telling Bria a little earlier before you came on that I now I'm stepping out of retirement 
to work with a group of folks who are trying to help minority concessionaires in the airport business who are having real serious issues trying to recover and stabilize their businesses because of COVID. As you know, COVID has, has taken a real, the pandemic has taken a real devastating effect on minority businesses and airports. And so we're trying to see how we can stabilize them around the country. So I'm working with a group of uh, aeroplane capital partners where I am the chairman and the partner in that group. And that's what I'm doing in retirement, basically. And uh, so what questions you want to ask me, young lady? Um, well, that was a lot. Um, <laughs> well, I guess something to like something small would just be like, like what motivated you to do that? Like what, like why did you decide this was going to be your career? Well, I didn't decide this was going to be my career. I, I guess uh, you know, I was a teacher early on in my career. That's what I. That's what I trained to be a teacher. And I only taught for about a year and a half. It, it wasn't that I didn't like teaching. It was that it was not as involved with the community that I wanted to be. I guess I was, and when I, and, you know, I, I had just come back from Vietnam. Era. I've served in the Vietnam era. I was stationed in Guam during the, during the Vietnam War. When I came back, I had only been in, I only had two years of college at that time, but I I left college just to join the war like a crazy person. <laughs> I wanted to serve my country. I guess it was like what happened in 9-11. You know, people got excited. Vietnam War was going on. And uh, I'm from a family of six boys and none of my brothers uh, ever had participated in the military. They, we all went to college, but we never participated in the military. So I got this bright idea one day that I was just going to, joined the Air Force. And so I did. <laughs> but when I came back, I, I went back and finished college. And I was married at the time and had, had one child. And so I wanted to be involved in the community. You know what I mean? I wanted to make a difference. I came back probably a little radical after serving in Vietnam. And uh, and it was a time, it was a time in the country when you had to get involved, you know, it was the Black Panthers was going on and it, it was just a different world when I came back and I and I wanted to be a part of it. And so that's how I got involved with the community and that's how I got involved with OICs of America because that's what they did. They worked and helped people in the community get jobs, training, adults, plus those kids who had not finished their, college, their high school get their GEDs and so forth. So this was part of what I was doing. And then Governor John D. Rockefeller gra gra drafted me to head up the Employment and Training Division for the state of West Virginia. I think I was like 30 then. Do you see? <laughs> so and so I, I spent with him his first term in, in office. And then I joined um, Dr. Benjamin Hooks, who had just been newly appointed the CEO and executive director of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. And so I got involved that way. My first major project that I got involved with with the NAACP was a young man who had gotten killed, similar to what's taking place today with you all in your Black Lives Matter efforts. Uh, Arthur McDuffie had been a young man in Miami in 1979, December 1979. He was 
he was beat to death by six white police officers. He was riding his motorcycle bike, and as they said, he ran a light, and they tracked him down, and they beat him to death. And a, a riot broke out that next year, that that in in, in Miami. That's the, the riots in Miami of 1980. If you go back and look in your history books, you'll see that Arthur McDuffie was the gentleman who was killed. He had just came back from the military himself. He was an insurance agent in Miami. And so my first job was to go down there and, and set up a Miami response for the national NAACP. I set up a Miami uh, NAACP urban office where we dealt with the community and try to bring back some sense and some, some sensibility to the community. But as always, as things, you know, community got it all up in arms and all excited about making a difference and it, it petered out. And then, you know, back and then you, then you turn around and, and you look at it in 1992. I ran into the same kind of problem in, uh, with, uh, in, in Los Angeles. And do you know what was going on in Los Angeles in 1992, young lady? No. Uh, we'll be having a conversation, right? <laughs> Sorry. I... <laughs> what year were you born? <laughs> that was the year Rodney King. I, I'll help you out a little bit. Rodney King, was, and that was the, the the second L.A. rise. And I'm not talking about the Watts rise, but this was the Rodney King rise in L.A. when they basically almost burned down L.A. And uh, he was beat by policemen out in uh, Simi Valley, a suburb of Los Angeles. But, and so that was another police violence. I could go through a whole lot of things that have taken place, but uh, I'm just so proud that we got young people like you that are carrying on the torch. And I'm, I'm glad to see that this Black Lives Matter movement may not peter out like the other movements that I have been involved with over my 40 years of involvement in the civil rights movement. I'm hoping that folks stay on point and uh, continue to be activists and continue to make sure that your voice and your lives matter. And uh, I've always been a strong proponent of education. And uh, that was one of the reasons that at the Urban League, my favorite program was Saturday, Light, Saturday Leadership Program. It was a program that I kind of like dreamed up one day and pulled my young professionals in. And we had meetings in little restaurants in Baltimore to talk about how to kick it off the ground. I had people say, well, that won't work because kids in Baltimore are not going to come out on a Saturday during the winter time. I said, oh, come on. <laughs> What's the difference in summer than winter? <laughs> so, and then, so that's one of my proudest programs that I think I left at the Urban League, the Saturday Leadership Program, because I believe that education, which was my motto and continues to be one of the things I live by, that education is the key to economic self-sufficiency. What do I mean by that? Without a quality education, be it a good trade training or a college education or you know, graduate training or whatever. But without education, there can be no economic self-sufficiency for people. And, and I always believe that Baltimore has so much potential as a city because it's still a growing city, but the African-American community has been left out. 
and that bothers me still to this day. And that's why I was telling folks I'll serve on one board only in Baltimore, and that's Visit Baltimore Board. And uh, and I still believe in that we can make a difference if we train our young people to participate in the emerging jobs in Baltimore, in the Baltimore region, because Baltimore City is no more it's more of a regional kind of concept these days. And when I served on the the board of the Greater Baltimore Committee, and that's the board where all the corporate people in Baltimore serve on, my voice was always stating that we got to continue to train our people for these emerging jobs and stop stop saying that we're not capable of participating when we're not training our young people. So we've got to continue to believe that education is that key. And, and uh, when I grew up in the hills of West Virginia, my parents always said, education, education, education. Nobody can take it away from you. And once you get it, you can do some tremendous things with it. And that's why I'm so pleased to talk to young people anytime I get a chance to encourage them to continue learning, training, and participating. Okay, what's your next question? Did I answer it all? <laughs> you don't even smile. You got to smile. Life is life is so great. You know what I mean? I'm I'm 76 yeah. years old, and I'm still enjoying life, and still still believe that I can make a difference, a little bit of difference. So I want you and your young people of Baltimore uh, to continue to get involved, care about your community. And, and become activists, but be prepared, okay? Am I talking so, too much? My wife tell me I talk too much, so you got to tell me when. No, okay. no, uh, no, I'm thinking okay. too much. Um, were there any, like, you were talking about encouraging, you know, young African-American folks. So do you have anything, you know, you would, like, would you tell them that you would tell them? Well, I think I covered some of that, but, but, I would just tell them, you know, follow their dreams. You know what I mean? Don't don't let anybody define you. You know, you got to define yourself. You know, um, so so just you know just follow your dreams and and uh, and prepare yourself so that you be prepared to do what you're trying to do in life. You know, I would like for more young people to go into business of their own. I mean, but some people are not cut out for that. But uh, but it, it's nothing like having your own and being able to grow your own. But, but always care about your community. Try to bring somebody from, don't be the only one. You know, I don't, I, a lot of people say, well, you were the first to do this first. No, I, I might have been the first, but I always try to bring other people along with me. So I wouldn't be left on someplace. Say, well, Mr. Henderson was the first. No, I just opened the door. <laughs> there are many folks who have come behind me, and I can and I can name them all. Basically, that have been part of my. I, I like to call them part of my group. So, uh, so, so, you know, don't don't think that you you making it by yourself. You can't make it by yourself, but. Please always, always look to try to bring somebody else along behind you. It's, it's, it's no fun being the only one in the room. Okay, what else can I tell you? Hello, y'all cut me off. 
it looks like she might have. This is Nicholas. It, might, it looks like she may have dropped the signal because uh, he's not in the room anymore. Let's give her. Let's just give her a moment to reconnect. This is what it looks like. How long is this supposed to go, Nicholas? Uh, approximately thirty minutes. So we would have a, about five minutes left if she got on the line. So maybe let's give her. Okay. Bree, can you can you give her a quick call? Sure. See if she's she's available. So we're happy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nick, Nicholas, you're going to do a good edit on this, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> we, want everybody, we want everybody to look good. <laughs> no, you, I've, I've been listening. You've been giving us some, some good information. I, I, don't, I think it's going to be good. I don't think you have, have to worry about that at all. What brought you to Baltimore from, from West Virginia while we're waiting? Well, uh, I came through the NAACP. I went from West Virginia to New York, to New York City, to work with the National NAACP. Then I moved the headquarters to Baltimore. Uh, at the time, when we were looking at looking, we were looking at different cities around the country. And you all had a president, the young lady here who was president of the NAACP. Dr. Enolia McMillan. That's what, that's what the NAACP headquarters building is named. The local one is named after her, the Baltimore City one. She kept wearing my nerves. She said, come, hi, Mr. Henderson, you got to come and look at Baltimore. I kept saying, Baltimore. I don't know if I want to call it Baltimore. I, I remember coming through Baltimore on the train, but not stopping. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway, I had a good friend. He and I had both worked in the, uh, the Rockefeller administration in West Virginia. And at that time, he was heading up a group here in Baltimore called MEGA, the Maryland Economic Growth Association. And what they were doing was trying to attract private businesses to come to Baltimore. That was back in 85, 84. And so Ms. McMillan were in my nerves, so I called Don Moyer, who was heading up that group. And Don, I said, Don, I got to come to Baltimore and look at some places. So he got some places for me to look at. And we looked at a number of locations in the city and I fell in love with the one out there in Mount Hope Drive. Right next to New Summers, right? Am I correct? I'm sorry? Next to New Summers? Yeah, New Summers okay. wasn't even there. It wasn't nothing but mud and, and trees. Out there. Well, none of that stuff out there, but it was a, the, the, the old the NWCP headquarters, which was a, it was a nun's uh, retirement home. And they had a, and it was a little hospital next door to it. But those were basically the only two or three buildings that were out there. Wasn't any roads in there. It was raining that day and muddy. I never forget it. <laughs> but when I when I looked at that spot, like I said, we looked at a number of spots in the city as well. When I looked at that spot, I fell in love with it. I said, "This is where we need to be." And so, that's how I got to Baltimore. In a nutshell, Schaefer was at the time, and Schaefer was very helpful. And, 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 and President Du Burns, Clarence Du Burns, the first African American mayor. A lot of people don't know he was the first African American mayor. He wasn't the first elected mayor that was African American. He was a he was president of the city council, and at that time, and Schaefer Don Schaefer was the mayor, and so they were very instrumental with the help of Clarence DeBurns getting us here, along with Mrs. Macmillan, Enolia Macmillan. That's a little bit of history on Baltimore. <laughs> Got it. I'll take it. I'll take it. Okay. Um, 
Bree, it looks like I'm just I'm just checking time, Bree. Um, I think we got a solid, solid enough content to make a solid edit. Um, we can we can follow up with the Maya directly. Um, but I, th I think we're good. I think we're good to, to create what we need to for this project. Okay. Bree, did I say I should have said something nice about you, shouldn't I? No, it's okay. <laughs> I did have I did have one question though. I was wondering um, if you could tell us like what the major difference is between the NAACP and the Urban League. Sure, very easily. The, the NAACP is that strong advocacy group. Uh, they they're they strong advocates in the community. Used to have a strong legal arm. You know, that's the group where Thurgood Marshall, he was our legal counsel for the NAACP. And the NAACP, uh, and it's Baltimore history because Thurgood came out of Baltimore, as you well know. And uh, so he was our chief counsel, first of Supreme Court justice, as you know. So anyway, so the NAACP is a strong advocacy group. I like to say they kick down the doors, they raise all the hell. The Urban League is that group that comes in with a sense of reason and a plan. They do the follow-up. You know what I mean? Somebody got to raise hell, lock down the doors. But the Urban League meets with the corporate people, sit down and be the reasonable and you know the calm people at the table, but with, but also understanding what their role is, and that is to put put the plans together to move forward and get people to buy into it, so forth. So and that's what we did. At the, so I know it very well because that's what we did at the National Urban League level when I was at the NAACP. Ben Hooks was the president CEO. And, uh, and so we worked very closely with Vernon Jordan at the, at the Urban League. Vernon Jordan at the time was the head of the Urban League. But Vernon, Vernon Jordan, he came out of the NAACP movement. He was our field director in Atlanta for a number of years before he became the head of the National Urban League. Vernon just passed a few, I guess last year he just passed. So, so Bria, that's basically the difference. NAACP strong advocacy group, the, NAAC, the Urban League comes in with the plan I like to say they're the voice of reason in the community. I was laughing at what you said about help you? people at the table because you know Miss Majors is not. The Urban not League the is, is the voice. Let's say, Urban League is the voice of reason. <laughs> the NAACP is the hell raise. Okay. Gotcha. Thank you. I guess am I they, to come back? They in the community. We used to raise all the hell. Maya, I think we were right at time. Did you have any closing statements or, or cool. closing questions? Amaya's back? She just rejoined us a few moments ago. Yeah, Hello, sorry, Amaya. my computer died and it just shut off. But no, I really liked listening to your life story. I thought it was really great. I'm a country boy, Maya. My father was a coal miner. He had six boys and all six of us graduated from college, went on for professional degrees. And never he wouldn't the reason we all went off to college because he wouldn't let us work in the mines because he said the money was too good and he didn't want us to be tied down 
with that kind of life. But he had a good life. We were never poor. I, I can say that, you know, he made good money. We lived, we had a good, you know, middle, middle class life. But yeah, that was my pops. <clears throat> and, I, and I don't, I do know, I don't know Joe Manchin. So don't put, don't tie West Virginia with Joe Manchin. West Virginians don't believe what Joe Manchin is up to these days. We do not support his efforts. Do you all know what Joe Manchin is doing these days? Who is out there? Amaya. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, I've had some conversation with a few folks in West Virginia to talk about what we might be able to do to get rid of him. If we can. The problem is that West Virginia has turned so red because when I was there, West Virginia was a strong democratic city, a state I mean. But now it's totally red. And if we get rid of Manchin, then all he's going to do is switch parties, we think. And that's why we haven't put too much pressure on him at this point. But anyway. So, Maya, did I answer any other? What questions do you have for me, young lady, before I get off of here? I know you. I know you. What grade are you in? I'm in the ninth grade. Ninth grade. You tell your, your, your sister that I said hello, okay? Of course. Joe, Mr. Henderson said hello. I will. Any other any other questions? Y'all got me. I know it was a, I know it was tough. <laughs> but Bria, I'm not I'm not a slave to this phone anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, we understand. Um, Amaya, unless you have like another question, I think we're good with what we have so far. Um yeah, I, yeah, I don't think I have any more questions. I, I can tell you a whole lot of stories. You know, I've been involved in a lot of a lot of different things. I've been involved with the effort when we were when Clarence Thomas was being uh, approved for the Supreme Court. The behind the scenes work that we did there couldn't defeat him, but we tried our damnedest to do it. The state of politics that's going on right now, where you have this power grab, power grab power grab with the, you know, the Republicans really just making it tough, you know, voter registration, I guess that's most basic for how do you, Stacey Abrams, flipping that stuff, how do you, how do we, how do we overcome that, that challenge? It's, it's nothing new, uh, this is, you know, voter suppression uh, has always been a part of the the American uh, landscape. Uh, when I was at the NAACP, a young man who headed up our voter registration effort, he now called himself the, the Black Eagle. That was Joe Madison. If you if you know who Joe Madison is, you can watch him on series. He's a very, very radical <laughs> and still out there doing his thing. But Joe headed up our voter registration effort. And so it's always been a challenge, you know what I mean? Uh, and so uh, we just have to stay stay to the point. Uh, uh, Stacy, Stacy is hopefully she won't get burnt out, you know, because it's not going to it's not going it's not going to change uh, the the white supremacist has always been with, among us. 
and some of them are your neighbors, some of them are your friends. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I you know, you, you just Trump made it easy for them to come out and be more visible and more vocal, but they couldn't be successful if it wasn't corporate and big money behind them somewhere. Hopefully, this this nine this uh, January the sixth commission will identify some of those folks who are, who are funding these folks out there. But the thing is, we got to vote locally. Remember, all politics is local. That's the key to it all. And uh, we got to make sure we get the right people in office. We got to make sure we get the right people on these uh, election boards. And and that's what that's what Trump's strategy is right at the moment. They're trying to take over all the state uh, secretary of state offices in those red states, especially those states he lost. And so he's, he he has a he has a plan, and they're carrying it out. And we got to make sure that it does not delay us and, and stop us from voting when the time comes. It's going to be a little bit more difficult, no question about it, but we got to make sure we vote. I know a number of people who, who have just turned off uh, in voting. And I had, I had to really, some of my friends, I call them friends, and they still are friends, but just talking to them about, you know, they had turned off on voting. And the first time they voted again was when Obama got out here, you know, and Obama did the best he could, but he couldn't do it all because the system is so structured that it's, that it can be defeating at times. But there's still hope. And we got, like, as Jesse Jackson says, keep hope alive. And there's still hope out there, folks. And young people like you who will be carrying this torch for us, I'm quite sure we're leaving it in good hands. We'll continue to, to move the ball down the field. It may not all happen in your lifetime, but it will improve a little bit in your lifetime. It has improved in my lifetime. You know? But it will improve in your lifetime. But you won't get it, you won't get that ball across the goal line. But you got to stay at it. You know, it's easy to get frustrated. Pull up your, you know, it's been easy for me to be frustrated, come back and get a little cushy life. And yeah, that's their problem. That's what happens, you know. People say, well, that's their problem. Let them fight it. Let the black lives fight. No, we got to support them. And all the other little groups out there that are making a difference in the community. Groups that we don't even know about. You know, there are people out there doing good things, but we got to be knowledgeable and support them. But it's not gonna be it's not gonna be overnight. It may not happen in your lifetime. Hopefully it'll happen in your kids' lifetime. Just think about Martin Luther King, what he had to go through, and it didn't happen in his lifetime. You know, not, his kids did not happen in their lifetime. He got grandkids now, you know what I mean? <laughs> They're trying to make a difference. I, I saw Martin Luther King III, his, his daughter was out there. She's now becoming a, a little activist, <laughs> you know? So uh, it may not happen in her lifetime, but if we stop, they will have us back in slavery in a minute. We'll be back on a plantation somewhere. It's easy to happen. So let's not give up the fight. Let's keep fighting for justice, okay? And let's not be bitter. You know, 
there are some other there's some good people of all races that are participating in this effort. Has always been. We've always had them on the board at NAACP. They've been out there on the on the line with us fighting forever. You know, Cheney and Swarner lost their lives down in uh, Mississippi trying to get voting rights. So, all none of this stuff is new. We just have to stay on it. Helpful, maybe. Let's end on a high note. Tell me something good. Maya, what, what are you, what's your favorite subject, Maya? What are you um, looking to become? For, for what? What are you talking about for like what type of subject? What's, what's your... What's your goal in life? What, what would you like to become? And what do you want to do in life? You gonna be the first president or the second black female president, or what are you looking to become? Doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, business person? Um, kind of like a mix of things, but like two main things are like a um, to kind of follow off, um, follow after my mom because she's a holist. She looked, I mean, she works with holistic life foundations and okay. um yeah and also another thing is maybe like a computer engineer or something like that okay yeah let's build a computer and, and, and you know let's don't buy all that junk from them let's let's let's, let's, let's learn how to build them and keep our critical thinking going you know yeah you're always a consumer you know i like that idea yeah build some stuff you know create some stuff Let's don't let's don't constantly be the consumer. Once you're always the consumer, then you at the you at the bottom of the economic ladder. Yeah. That's why I like his noisy, noisy tenant, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Sir>. <laughs> <laughs> noisy tenants out there making noise. Trying to try. Okay. Yeah. Then we can hire then we can hire our own people. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, true. that's what it's all about. That's, only, that's the only reason I'm involved now with this new group. They, they pull me in on because I think the more black businesses we can keep online, they hire people that look like them generally. And uh, so that's my passion. Has always been my passion. How we help our people move forward. I only have a few more years left to do all that. See, then, then I turn it over to other folks like uh, Bria and Amaya and Nicholas to carry the torch. So y'all got the torch now. <laughs>